Hello, listeners. I'm Gregory with Maroon Podcast, and I'm joined today by economist and political scientist James Robinson to discuss the upcoming Pearson Institute Global Forum, which will be held here at the university on October 20th. This forum, entitled Disparity, A Thin Line Divides Human Realities, aims to explore existing disparity throughout the world in the midst of refugees of war and climate, despotic governments, and both new and protracted global conflicts. It will feature leading scholars and high-level policymakers from around the world and include a keynote address from the former president of Mexico. In addition to serving as a Harris School of Public Policy professor, Robinson also serves as the Institute Director of the Pearson Institute, which brings us here today. So, Professor, can you give us an overview of the Pearson Institute outside of the forum? How would you describe its mission? Um, well, the, the Pearson Institute was started, um, was, was begun in, in uh, 2016, to, to focus, to bring academics and policymakers uh, and intellectuals together to study and discuss the questions of you know, global conflict, the sources of global conflict and, and strategies for resolving and, and stopping conflict. So the focus is very much on conflict, conflict resolution, but also the kind of deep roots of conflict, you know, which is where a theme like disparity for the Global Forum comes in. So the Global Forum is our sort of flagship event that we hold every year where we try to bring policymakers, you know, like President Ernesto Zedillo together with academics to kind of brainstorm on these topics. Right. And I also read that the forum is, in, or the institute rather, is engaged in research. So um, what are some recent research that the institute has been involved in? Oh, gosh, yes. There's lots of different topics. I mean, you know, we have, we're a group of scholars. There's four uh, professors that are directly related to the institute that have professorships that are related to the institute. You know, they're Pearson professors. That's, you know, the, the Nobel laureate uh, Roger Myerson. Uh, Christopher Blackman, Andrea Dubay, and myself, and you know, so Roger Myerson is, you know, Roger Myerson's a game theorist who won the Nobel Prize in Economics, who does very kind of profound work about the construction of states and state authority. He's very interested in the kind of architecture of states and what types of institutional design lead to functioning democratic states, you know, especially in, in contexts of conflict and state breakdown and disorder, you know, how do you rebuild institutions and what kind of paths out of that are there? So he's been doing a lot of theoretical work on that. He's very passionate about that topic. Um, Chris Blackman has been doing a lot of work in Colombia the last few years, actually in Medellin with the local government. Uh, he's done several policy experiments trying to develop interventions in um, what they call the um, comunas of Medellin, so the sort of um, underserviced areas of Medellin, uh, with a lot of problems of crime and gangs or combos, as they call in Medellin. And so they've been, he's been investigating and experimenting with different strategies to try to stop youths joining gangs, to try to bring peace and organization and so so that's you know that's very much involved in again in a key as you know key area that the, the institute is studying which is you know how to create order and how to improve the welfare of people's lives how to strengthen the capacity of the state and what sort of things uh, do that 
think Andrilla Dubey has been doing lots of different work. She's been, for example, with me, that we've been collaborating for five years on a long run project to look at different strategies to diffuse conflict between farmers and herders in central Nigeria. Uh, so there were enormous problems of violence and conflict between farmers and herders, you know, caused by many different things, partially caused, of course, by the desertification of the north of Nigeria, which is pushing migratory herders, nomadic herders further south and leading them, you know, into disputes, into new disputes with new people and sort of outside the scope of their formal institutions. So we've been partnering with an NGO called Search for Common Ground that has various strategies for trying to bring these farmers and herders together. So we've been you know, we've been, we designed a kind of survey and we've been collecting data on that. We're trying to understand, you know, what's the impact of these interventions on violence? Do they reduce violence? And if so, um, through, what, through what mechanisms? Um, and I, you know, I've also been doing a lot of work in Nigeria. I'm a fellow uh, of the Institute for African Studies at the University of Nigeria in Suka in eastern Nigeria. So I've been working for five years with a lot of academics there on you know trying to understand some basic aspects of African society and African especially African traditional political institutions and how they functioned and how they related to each other you know which um which is fascinating in many ways you know uh you know in the time of the scramble for Africa there was about 50 uh polities you could say in Europe you know there were 50 nations you could say in Europe uh, at the same time in Africa, there were probably about 20,000, you know. So Africa was politically incredibly fragmented into many, many, many different polities, you know. So that, that's something I've been studying for a while, like what does that equilibrium look like? And in particular, how did they relate to each other? You know, how did they coexist uh, in a relatively peaceful way, which they, way they did, unlike European nation states? So, so there's, that's just a sort of, you know, there's a flavor of the different things. And that's the core faculty. Of course, we have many faculty affiliates, you know, who are working on related research topics as well. So it spreads beyond the four immediate kind of Pearson professors. And in your experience, I guess, contributing to these projects, um, how would you say they have informed your work at the forum or the institute? Are there specific elements um, of your research that you consider in, in decision making here or elsewhere? Well, I think, you know, the, 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 those are, these are academic, you know, what I described as academic research. You know, we're writing papers, we're publishing them in journals, we're presenting them at academic conferences. But the aspiration of the Institute was also to, you know, was always to reach out to a wider policy community and translate, you know, these academic findings into, you know, policy relevant findings which you could communicate and discuss with other people, you know. So one thing we do, I mean, the other big flagship event, apart from the Global Forum we have every year, is this Pearson Lecture. So, and every year we've been inviting someone who kind of really solved a conflict. So, so the first speaker we had, the inaugural speaker, was Sergio Jaramillo, who was the Colombian High Commissioner for Peace, who negotiated uh, this peace agreement with this FARC Marxist rebel group in Colombia. So there's a guy, you know, who actually had to negotiate for five years in Cuba with these guys to come up with a deal to get them to put their guns down and stop fighting. You know, the next speaker we had was Jonathan Powell, who was Tony Blair's chief of staff when Blair was prime minister of England, who negotiated the 
the Northern Ireland Peace Agreement, you know. And I think, so that's a sort of fascinating interaction because they're not academics, neither of them are academics, but they've, they know what it's like to actually defuse a conflict and get people to stop fighting. Like, what are the issues? What does it take? How do you do it? How, you know, and that's a fascinating kind of backwards and forwards with the, with, with the academic work. You know, I just give you some examples, like one thing, so, you know, a lot of academic work on conflict and civil war, for example, has gone on, has studied the kind of the economics, you, you could say, of civil war. You know, so civil wars start, they create kind of vacuum of authority, there's lots of scope for illegality or smuggling or whatever it is, or crime or... So, you know, so Jonathan Powell addressed this in his talk in the case of Northern Ireland. And he, you know, he said something what I thought was extremely interesting, which is, that's never why these conflicts start. Like, once conflicts start, a kind of war economy or a conflict economy emerges. And that makes it more difficult to stop the conflict. But it's never the fundamental reason these conflicts or civil wars start. That's always political. It's always about political grievances, you know. So, so, so that, you know, I think it's, a, it's an unrivaled opportunity to kind of interact with people as academics with people like that, which normally you don't do at academic conferences or in sort of academic space. Uh, and we all learn from each other. I think, you know, we, you know, I think we learn a lot from people like that. And, you know, I hope they learn from us. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, right. And I wonder, um, how do you feel almost um, an onus um, to translate some of the academic sort of conversations you have or solutions that you arrive at to make a broader impact? And if so, um, broader impact as in like in the community. Um, if so, how do you go about that? Yeah, I think there's, you know, I think there's different ways of having a broader impact. You know, I think that, um, you know, there's different ways you can frame that. I think academics, you know, have a particular skill set, which is often not the right skill set for, you know, for, for, for being involved in policy, you know, because that, that, that takes different skills. You know, you, the, you, you have to have the skill of like packaging ideas and presenting them and kind of arguing for them. And, and you know, it, I think it's my, in my experience, it's a different skill set. So I think, you know, we can provide input into into policy making but i you know like i'm not sure that it's we're the ones to to actually get involved in policy ourselves i think it's more you know framing the issues and sort of you know trying to you know let me give you a very concrete example you know i was uh, i was recently asked uh, by the world bank to 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 sort of look at uh, the work they're doing in lebanon uh, and, you know, so Lebanon had this incredible economic collapse in the past several years. And the government does nothing. Okay. So they just like can't agree on anything. They can't agree on an agreement with the International Monetary Fund. They're sort of bankrupt. You know, the banking system has closed down. You know, there's all these reforms. Think about the United States. You know, in the United States, when a bank gets in trouble, it's like sorted out within 24 hours. You know, the Federal Reserve Board sorts it out like, like that because everyone is worried about you know bank crisis and bank you know spreading in lebanon the banks have been closed down for three years 
Okay, nothing. You can't take your money out of a bank. You know, it's just like you're, it's all frozen in there. You know, it's just it's. I mean, the banks are all insolvent, and the government hasn't done anything. So then, the the, the a World Bank came to me and said, like, you know, what? How do we think about this? How, how do we think? You're a political economist. How do we think about why nothing is happening? You know, so 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 I you know I I, I studied that and and I didn't. I'm not proposing a way for the World Bank to intervene or do anything, but I was able to kind of, I was able to communicate, I think, a kind of a picture of why this is happening and an understanding of why this is happening. So, and again, I'll give you something very concrete. So the World Bank say, oh, it's because of corruption, you know? So, so there's all this corruption and, you know, the politicians are all corrupt and they don't do anything because they want to keep stealing money. But I think if you come at it with the right perspective, if you come at it, with kind of what we know as academics about what causes problems in these countries, you see actually that corruption is a symptom of the underlying problems. It's not the cause of the problem. So, so I think like uh, what I was able to do with the World Bank was persuade them, look, don't fixate on corruption. That corruption is happening, but it's a symptom of these other institutional problems, and that's what needs fixing. So I was able to get them to kind of refocus their attention on something which I think is much more important. So I think that's, that's a concrete kind of contribution to policy in my own view, and it's using what we know from academic research, but it's not sort of saying, you know, here's the policy, you know, like Jeffrey Sachs, you know, I don't know if anyone knows who Jeffrey Sachs is nowadays, but, you know, he used to be this very famous economist and he'd run around the world telling everybody what to do. If you do X, Y, and Z, then you'll be successful, okay? So I, you know, I don't do that, none of us do that, and I don't think that's very serious doing that. I'm just trying to illustrate, I think there's different ways you can engage, and academics are kind of better at some ways of engaging than others, you know? I think we're, we're less good at actually going in there and kind of, you know, sorting out problems in the way Sergio Jaramillo or Jonathan Powell or whatever or Tony Blair could have done. But we can contribute, we can contribute, I think, uh, with our knowledge and, you know, of the academic research. Right. I'm curious if that relates to what brought you to the Institute to begin with. Is it to, as I said, like translate academic to make a broader impact or something related to that? Yeah, I mean, I came, you know, I moved here from Harvard. I was a professor at Harvard and I moved here, you know, when there was this very exciting project to kind of soup up the Harris School and kind of turn it into a real international public policy school, you know, under under pre the late President Zimmer and when Daniel Diermeyer was the dean of the school and then provost of the university, you know, so I came along with many other people, including Chris Batman, Ondrilla Dubey, Roger moved from the economics department. Many other people came here, Constantine Sonin, Stephen Durloff, like very distinguished scholars. So there was a lot of energy, you know, like there was a lot of energy and there was a lot of scope for kind of building something, you know, building something in a very interdisciplinary way. You know, I'm someone, I mean, I was, I was, I, you know, I started studying political science in England at the London School of Economics. And then I switched to economics, you know, and I, I ended up, you know, doing a PhD in economics. But then I switched back to political science and then I started studying Africa. And I realized that if you want to know anything about Africa, you know, it's all the, the wisdom is all in anthropology and history, not in political science or economics. So I just find myself very frustrated at these these arbitrary 
arbitrary distinctions between different academic fields, you know. So, so I think one of our focus is very much on multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary research and knowledge, you know. Get out of your silo, you know, get out of your box. And, 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 and I think, you know, that, so that was some, that's something which I can tell you is very difficult to construct. But I think because of this moment where the Harris School was changing and sort of transforming, there was space to build something like that. And I think that was also something that excited me a lot, you know, in addition to this whole kind of engagement with, with, with public policy. You know, it's a public policy school, and I think that's, you know, that keeps us, you know, it keeps you honest and it keeps you focused on, okay, so what? You know, like, so what, what do we do with this? Are we balancing angels on pinheads or are we actually doing something, um, you know, that can improve people's lives. Right. Um, so I want to talk about the forum itself now. So what global events are most concerned at the forum this year? Well, I think the forum's a mix of different things. You know, we always try to do something with grander, sort of more kind of broader themes. Um, you know, so, 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 you know, talking about disparity, I think the whole, you know, people talk a lot about inequality, you know, and rightly so in the world today, economic inequality, inequality, you know, inequality of incomes and inequality of wealth. But the idea of disparity is supposed to sort of decenter, you know, that kind of conventional narrative and talk about lots of different ways in which people differ and the people are distinguished and people are, you know, I always like the word, the, the word that the great French sociologist Pierre Bourdieu used was distinction, you know, the distinctions between people. But of course, that has this beautiful double entendre, you know, like I'm distinct, but I'm also distinct has this connotation of like superior, you know, as well as different, you know. So I think we want to just talk about different ways in which, you know, differences happen, discrimination happens, marginalization happens, you know, like, so, so, and, and, and try to talk about the consequences of that for conflict, you know, and, and, and how the, that, you know, that could be, you know, it, it could be in any sort of dimension whatsoever, you know, and some of that has consequences, of course, for economic inequality, maybe some of it is caused by economic inequality, but we wanted to use it as a way of sort of doing lateral thinking about, the roots of um, conflict. So, you know, so we have a panel on social mobility, you know, with like, for example, my colleague here, Stephen Durloff, you know, who's a very distinguished scholar. He's the director of the Stone Center of Inequality that's just, just started here. Very distinguished scholar of inequality um, uh, and social mobility, you know. Um, you know, I think Ernesto Zedillo is gonna talk broadly about Latin American and Mexican development. And, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to think about why Latin America has been so challenged economically in the last you know couple of hundred years without thinking about the ingrained sort of hierarchies or inequities or distinctions or different you know in Latin American uh, society you know so I don't know there's a great uh, Mexican film called Roma I don't know if you've seen that film Roma uh, which if you want to know something about kind of the sociology of of um, of inequality and hierarchy in Latin America, that's a, that's a very good movie to watch. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, so I think we're just trying to think outside the box and, you know, and, and then we're gonna, we always do sort of something which is more kind of broad, abstract, you know, more academic. We have, you know, we have uh, these keynotes like Ernesto Zedillo and then we have something like more 
focus typically on you know, a, a very specific type of conflict, like conflict over water or you know, environmental conflict, or a sort of country focus or an area focus. So for example, we have a panel which is about Iran at the moment, you know, and that's kind of a nice, that's, a, that's quite a coincidence because you know, this lady just won the, who's in prison, just won the Nobel Peace Prize in Iran. So that's something to celebrate, some fearless, you know, like that's, there's someone who really deserved the Nobel Prize. So someone fearlessly fighting for people's rights and for democracy uh, in Iran. So we're going to talk about Iran and, you know, that, that intersects with many things, of course, you know, with, with, um, with nuclear conflict, you know, the whole, you know, nuclear negotiation with Iran. I mean, of course, there's also, you know, a lot of people are thinking about Ukraine and, um, and but we're not focusing on that Ukraine so much because I, one of the reasons is that we have a lot of very distinguished scholars, you know, in the political science department here, John Mearsheimer, Bob Pape, who work on international relations, especially security. I don't know if you're aware, you know, you know John Mearsheimer, he's quite yeah. a character. So I think we, you know, like we, you need to find your perch. <laughs> you know, I think, I don't, I don't, we don't want to, I think, you know, we let them tackle that more than, than we, we, you know, we have our specialization and we're less focused on these kind of interstate conflicts of the type that they study. And, and, um, uh, but I think, you know, like anything and any, everything can come up. So. And I'm curious what goes into setting the agenda. How do you set the agenda? How do you choose speakers? Well, I, you know, I think that's that's a very collaborative thing. You know, we talk about um, we talk about different topics, and um, you know, like we're talking about, for example, next year, like ideology or the role of ideology or ideas in creating conflict, and you know, and so so we bat about different. Themes. I think it's nice to have a theme. It puts some sort of structure on it, and we you know, we bat about different themes. You know, we're a sort of small team. There's me. You know, um, there's 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 you know there's four people who work with me in you know kind of staff on the team, and they're all you know they're all very smart and 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 you know so we discuss that and everyone you know we all discuss you know we just kind of brainstorm different ideas and then we think about okay what would be what topic would be good and. You know, who could we have? Who could speak about that? Who knows about that? And, you know, so, um, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's hard to describe. It's like doing research, you know, so there's a sort of serendipitous element in it. And is there something you say um, or you, do you think that sets that will set this form apart from previous years? I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, I think the format, you know, the format we've we've converged on has worked very well. You know, last year was extremely exciting. You know, last year we actually talking of Lebanon, we had a panel on Lebanon, which was absolutely fantastic. I mean, it was really interesting. Uh, so I think, I think the format has worked well in this kind of blend of, you know, more academic things or more sort of general topics along with some very specific focus where you could talk about a specific conflict, you know, in Lebanon or Iran or Palestine or wherever it is, you know, um, that that sort of melange seems to have worked pretty well. That's my assessment, and people find it interesting. We've got a lot of good feedback about it. So you know, let's don't break a winning team, isn't that what they say? Don't change a winning team. Mm -hmm. All right, just one last question: Is there something that you personally hope people will take away from attending this year's forum? 
Well, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It depends where we go in the world. You know, it depends where we go, you know, where the thrust of the conversation goes. You know, one thing I've been studying a lot, which is recently, you know, which is relevant for thinking about the current situation we're in in the United States, is this notion of toleration. You know, like one thing I've studied a lot is 17th century English politics, you know, the politics of the Civil War and the politics of the Glorious Revolution and how that made a kind of modern British state, you know, how it led to more accountable political institutions, you know, what I call more inclusive political institutions, how that helped pave the way to the Industrial Revolution and this kind of huge flowering of prosperity that started in Britain and spread, you know, to large parts of the world. And one of the things I find most fascinating about 17th century politics in Britain, you know, which went and, 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 and how that interrelates to all this institution building is this notion of sort of toleration. You know, when the Civil War starts, uh, Parliament was fighting with uh, Charles I and disagreeing with Charles I. Charles I wanted to raise taxes and people didn't want to pay taxes and they had all these grievances. So they were all arguing and arguing. And then Charles I, you know, went off to Oxford and that's kind of when the civil, he abandoned London and the Civil War starts. And then and as soon as Charles I leaves, everybody starts fighting with each other. Like, you know, they all start fighting with each other. And actually, you know, that's something you see very, very often happening, you know, in many of these transitions. You know, earlier this year, I was doing research, I was doing field work in Sudan, actually, before, before the, the violence and before the civil war started. And what you saw in Sudan was when the previous dictator, al-Bashir, was thrown from power, you know, many people got together in civil society. I mean, it was amazing, like the, 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 the kind of heterogeneity of the coalition that kind of got together to oppose al-Bashir. But as soon as he left, they realized they had nothing in common. They all started arguing with each other. And then the military came back, you know. And so this, you know, and so what happens in England is something very fascinating in the early 1640s, which is like, okay, there was this collective recognition that you know, we need to get on somehow. And unless we get on, we're all going to, you know, what is the expression? You know, we all, either we all hang together or we all hang separately. We're all going to hang separately. And one of the things that emerged in that context was this notion of toleration. Like, okay, I don't really agree with you, but I respect, I respect the fact that you can uh, you can believe something right. different from me, and you respect the fact that so we can cooperate. Right. Uh, we tolerate each other, you know. And in some sense, the act, it's not a coincidence that you know John Locke and all these political philosophers wrote books about toleration. I've come to understand they saw that as absolutely fundamental to building a successful society, you know. And that's you know that's a good topic actually for a Pearson Global Forum because one of the things you see in this country at the moment is a breakdown of toleration, right. and I think what we know from history is that that that's disastrous you know for the functionality of the society. So 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 that would be a nice discussion to have, and maybe it is a good topic for next year. All right, with that we'll end things for today. The forum will be held in person at the Harris Public uh, Policy School in Chicago and live streamed on October twentieth. It is free for the media and public, but registration is required, and you can register on the Pearson Institute's website. Thank you, Professor, for your time. My pleasure.